0: Welcome to another TMG interview. My name is Paul Preston, talking movies with those who make them. And today I'm sharing virtual space with the directors of a new short film that you can see right now. Now, a lot of times, a short film's path from completion to your eyeballs, you never know where it's going to go, how you can possibly see it. But you can watch this one right now and I'll tell you where it's online. Uh, but more on that later, but for now, more on the film itself. The film is Hack, and I'm here with the co-producers and co-directors, Brett Marty and Josh Eisenberg. <laughs> so just for the folks who are listening and not watching this on YouTube, uh, Brett, why don't you go ahead and say hello to the people so they can gauge your voice.
1: Hey, nice to be here.
0: Outstanding. And Josh. Um, okay, this is Josh. That Good is Josh.
2: Good to be here with you, Paul.
0: All right, so whichever one of you would like to take the, the reins on the first question, obviously as the co-directors and co-producers of this film, you are much more qualified than I to tell the people what EcoHack is about. Uh,
2: so please tell us, and who is Tim Shields? Well, uh, uh, Tim. Well, let me start with Tim. Um, Tim Shields is a tortoise biologist who lives uh, half the year in the Mojave Desert, um, east of L.A., And he has been uh, working to try to save uh, the desert tortoise for 30, 40 years. Um, He's sort of devoted his entire career to this creature. Um, The film catches up with Tim uh, in a particular project that sort of started in the last 10 years where uh, Tim... Um, you know, who's, who he's tired of watching the tortoise population in decline. These tortoises have been under threat from a whole variety of different adversaries from disease to, uh, uh burgeoning human population encroachment, um, uh, all sorts of things. But the latest threat is a uh, raven population that's really gone out of control in the desert. Thanks to, um, uh, human populations that sort of brought along our trash and our compost and all these things that sort of help the raven population thrive, Uh, Well, these ravens love to eat baby tortoises. Um, They've been a major threat. And Tim is trying to figure out um, how can he uh, stop being the biologist who is, uh, as he says, quietly taking notes in the catastrophe? And how can he intervene and do something to save the tortoises um, and deal with this raven threat? And uh, the film is really about what he does. And he uses technology and imagination and kind of crazy out of the box thinking to deal with these ravens and Um, create, if you will, a template for how biologists and engineers and conservationists might intervene uh, on behalf of other species under threat all over the world. So that's the story um, in a nutshell, happy to kind of get more into it, but that's the high level view. Well, I'm
0: super impressed that he doesn't kill them. You know, he doesn't set out to kill the ravens. I mean, out here, uh, it's been in the news in Los Angeles that, they're going to start controlling the mule deer population in Catalina by just flying over with a helicopter and picking them off. And there's got to be a better way. Maybe one, of course, could be controlling the human population first. Right. But uh, but yeah, so I was pretty impressed that he does that. Um, so what he does instead is in the New Yorker had a great title of the page where you where you can watch. That's where you can watch the film at the New Yorker's website. And they have the great title for the page where it's the film is embedded and it's, can you save one species by annoying another? So that's essentially what he does. He annoys the birds without having to kill them. And I'm super impressed by that. Can you elaborate the ways that he does that? Sure.
1: Uh, and it's, and I think there's a, there's a really good reason he does that too. It's uh, he like Tim says a live Raven is better than a dead Raven. And it's because they're incredibly smart social animals. So he uses aversive training to basically create nightmare scenarios for ravens near tortoise habitat. So
0: I love that it's called a haunted,
1: he calls it a haunted landscape yeah.
0: in the film, which is just like the I mean, man can turn
1: a phrase. That's that's a for lot. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so he does this just uh, with lasers and exploding tortoise shells and drones and all, all sorts of funny tech tools. Um, and the idea is that the ravens teach each other and they interact. So when one, you know, gets, sees this bright laser cannon being fired at them repeatedly in the spot, they, they learn from each other. And if you can see even in the film, when one raven takes off and is like worried, Oh, I saw something. And even if the others didn't see it, they're like, Oh, there's something to panic about. We better panic too. (laughs) So that's his philosophy that even though the, these ravens shouldn't be there and they wouldn't be there without human encroachment out into the desert, they um, you know, they can, they can learn from each other. So he doesn't have to teach them all or kill them. And in fact, the live ones can teach each other. So he doesn't have to train every single raven to stay away from this land. They can they can learn from each other. Yeah, when
0: the ra- the raven's
1: smarter than a person in a horror movie,
0: it sees the haunted house and goes, well, we're out of here. Uh, right? As opposed yeah, to that's hanging totally out. True, totally true. <laughs> longer than that's they should. Right. <laughs> um, so how does the New Yorker then become your distribution uh, platform for this film did you team with them beforehand or did they find you and then want to profile the movie uh, after you made it
1: well we had a pre-existing relationship with them before so we'd done uh, another film called the fiddler with them back in 2018 um kind of at the beginning uh, very early in their kind of, uh showcasing of documentary films and they do a lot more of that now so we we'd worked with them before and We'd uh, finished the film just about and then reached out to me like, hey, we're, we're about to finish the, uh, the film looking for a, a platform and um, for someone to, to basically get it to a wide audience. It's it's important for I, we do these stories because we want them to have an impact, especially for shorts. There's, you know, uh, not that many places where short films can live and people watch them. So we want people to hear what Tim's doing and to be inspired by it and hopefully think about conservation a little differently and 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 really kind of it, kind of approach climate stories with like a, a different in a different way when we we intentionally wanted to make this one you know not not gloomy and and full of dread but kind of fun and funny and inspiring
0: yeah so and i noticed uh yeah that there was a previous short that you had made brett that was involved with the new yorker and and josh i believe you made one that was aligned with the new york times and i'll be honest with you as much as i watch movies the whole using a print publication to find a short film model is kind of new to me so you say it's a it's a thing and it's out there so how does that all work or i guess explain that whole uh situation to me
2: you know the ecosystem that we're in i'm not going to get all the exact dates right of who started doing what when exactly but like my understanding of it is you know in 2013 2012 new york times started doing this op series where they commission or license uh short documentaries from filmmakers that sort of aligned with their opinion section like it was somebody's point of view and that was successful and that was like a whole new way for short films short documentaries specifically to reach wide audiences and um i think um a lot of other, uh, you know, what you would think of as print publications have have done their version of that. And so like the New Yorker, um, L.A. Times has a documentary series. Uh, um, I the list is going to go on. I'm going to I'm not going to be able to name everybody, but it's okay. this. it's different than what we sort of where where were short films prior to that. I don't know. There wasn't necessarily um, a lot of online venues for short films. And that's sort of been a problem because short film is a great medium but uh there just wasn't a lot of space for them, and so like there's a lot of people who are getting into the short um documentary programming world now who weren't there before and hopefully that trend continues and so the new yorker um they make a lot of they they make make license acquire distribute um a lot of short films uh fiction animation and documentary so Um, we've worked with, uh, different organizations in the past, but it's just served as a great opportunity because, you know, HBO, uh, Netflix, Amazon, they don't have, they don't necessarily have, you know, they may only have so much room for, for short content. So it's good. There's other players in the game now, and hopefully we just see more and more different opportunities for short filmmakers. Yeah. Sometimes they go online and they can get lost, you know, in the model of
0: five billion things to watch on on youtube or whatever it is. yeah yeah it's tough but, to just
2: put something i yeah. think people maybe have thought you know in the past oh you know if you you put something really good on youtube and just it'll like get legs and go viral but like it's really a, god you know i don't think it works like that you need some it's very helpful to have somebody supporting you
1: yeah in doing I mean, that, you so. give a shout out to Vimeo staff picks is one of the early places that was able to draw attention to short films, both narrative oh, that's and true. Yeah, yeah. where it's like, Oh, if you go there, you know that they kind of curate high quality. So you're, you really, and they have really good taste. So they, basically anything you watch there is is going to be pretty good.
0: Well, twist my arm to get a new uh, way to watch shorts. I mean, I have a, an LA times subscription. So I guess I haven't thoroughly investigated that to see what's in there that I could watch as well as read. So, Tim teams up uh, with Frank Garcia, right? Yeah. Uh, Who uh, rightfully calls himself like the Q of of, uh, Tim's James Bond because they make these wacky contraptions. They have cool names like the Techno Tort and the Blasto Lux. And I love the gadgets. And again, just also because it's a bloodless way of of changing the uh, atmosphere and keeping the turtles alive. Um, So let's look at some of the egg oiling. What is this? i mean i know what it is but for those who want to get clued into the to the short what is egg
2: oiling egg oiling is uh uh literally putting oil on raven eggs before they hatch and they don't hatch so um bloodless sort of i mean ravens, <laughs> yeah well, i guess you know, you're uh, the ravens aren't gonna the baby ravens don't survive um but uh it has the benefit ultimately of that. you know the adults these are smart birds like when they have a a round or two of eggs that don't hatch, they say, you know what, this isn't a good place to lay eggs and they go somewhere else and they lay their eggs elsewhere. So, um, that's what egg oiling does. It just sort of, you know, and the technology and use is these kind of long, um, uh, you know, little, I guess they're almost like squirt guns that squirt oil. They're the end of long sticks or they're, um, uh, they use drones sometimes and they use you know, there's some use of AI and other things to sort of determine where these nests are in the first place. Cause half the battle is even finding the Raven nests. They put the nests um, on billboards and on top of they, they can they they put them everywhere and it's they're hard to see and so there's certain mapping technology that can look at like an array you know an array of sticks on the ground and sort of suggest hey maybe this is a place where ravens are spending time there might be a nest here so you know tim and his group go out during nesting season and they try to oil these eggs and uh, get the ravens to go somewhere else to lay their eggs
1: laser pointers
0: Like I'm annoyed by laser pointers. I guess it really bothers (laughs) Ravens.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't really think of it as a laser pointer because it's like a class four laser as as high as they come. So it'll blind you in a few seconds if 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 it's in your eye. I guess a laser pointer would too, but it would just probably take longer. But they're very bright and they go a very long way. Um, And so what they have is a... Basically, I like to think of them as laser guns, laser cannons, and they they look like it too, um, intentionally because they I think they're both pretty big fans of sci-fi and that sort of thing. So um, they'll go out to a uh, you know a valley with a lot of ravens, and they can you can fire it. And Josh and I got to do it a couple times. It's it's kind of like a video game. It's super fun, and uh, if you just fire it a couple of times, uh, the the ravens will just leave. They feel like something's wrong. They don't like it um and once i think tim said that we don't exactly know how ravens perceive it but it's it's not like a flash of light like it is to us there if for for whatever reason to them i think the theory is it looks like a giant glowing piece of rebar flying through the sky that that just like doesn't feel safe to them so um yeah and then they can do all sorts of things with that whether put it on like a remotely controlled laser turret or um you know maybe one day have it fire autonomously Basically, when, it, uh, when a little machine can detect that
0: uh, a raven is nearby, I love the fake tortoises, but I won't talk about what those do because that's my favorite part. And people can go discover that in the film itself, which is like how he even discovered what he can spray from these fake tortoises that would deter the ravens. Like I don't even know how you determined that, but he did, and it works. Anyway, go watch that for that. Uh, all the gadgets are, and basically, nature. Nature's good in nature, but now booby traps are part of it. Uh, thanks to Tim, which I think is hilarious. Um, you guys ever see a turtle in the wild before this film? I saw Hi. one when I was in Suaro National Park, and it was the coolest thing I saw in the park all day. I mean, I just watched him for 20 minutes doing his thing and eventually ventured off out of sight. And I just thought he was cool as hell.
2: Uh yeah, I actually saw one. Um uh I got married in Joshua Tree. I live in the Bay Area. Oh and um the hour before my wedding uh i went on maybe two hours before the wedding um i went on a little hike uh around the area and saw a tortoise desert tortoise walking around and the people i was with saw the tortoise too and it was like you know somebody i knew who lived on the desert was like people live out here their whole lives and don't necessarily see a tortoise so i felt oh, uh, pretty lucky you know, if you know, i've like never weirdly... seen out there
0: i've never seen the bighorn sheep they keep Giving you signs about, oh yeah, look out for bighorn sheep here in Joshua Tree. Nope. Never seen
2: them. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how animals are so good at hiding from humans. You know, it's it's kind of shocking.
1: That, there's not that many of them left. That too, well,
2: yeah. Probably true, yeah.
0: But speaking of that, so I love stories from the trenches with Indian short films like this. Um, what are the setbacks you guys had that you had to pivot or change things up because it could be animals. Oh, these animals are going to be here. We're going to do this big thing. Well, the animals aren't there. They decided to do whatever they wanted to do. Uh, they are not aware of our shooting schedule or perhaps weather was unkind because you got the desert to deal with. Uh, any that you can share?
1: Uh, yeah, well, it's not that novel, but, uh, COVID certainly. threw things for a loop. True. So yeah. we had to, it, it ended up being actually probably beneficial for the film because, um, it gave us, you know, made us take a break for a while and gave the film some some longitude. So some things got to develop and change a little bit. So we had to add a little bit more than than we might've otherwise. So we might've wrapped production a little sooner. Um, Josh, any other, do we have any other big hiccups?
2: Yeah, to set the stage, like filming in the desert, um Mm -hmm. in the winter is hard and it's windy and it's uh it's pretty brutal and you have to walk a lot with a lot of film equipment and you hope you find a tortoise however that said like we kind of accounted for that um we're used to we're documentary filmmakers who do stuff in the field quote unquote you know so we've been all over the place we sort of baked that in we lucked we really were incredibly lucky in that we on one day we found two wild tortoises with tim and his crew and we were able to film that so we weren't guaranteed finding any wild tortoises while filming and so that was like amazing um so you know in some ways a lot of things really went our way i think one of the biggest challenges was figuring out how to tell the story you know Mm -hmm. this is like you know it's going to take tim quite a long time before he has definitive proof and numbers that say you know without a doubt the work that he's doing has saved x amount of tortoises or it's you know deterred x amount of ravens i mean he has evidence so you know but we weren't able to sort of include that that in the film so it was like how do we tell a story where we can show this thing that these people are doing to save these animals. But, you know, the future is sort of unwritten, like the end of the film isn't going to happen within the actual like filmmaking, you know, I guess, timeline that we had. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we tried to tell the story in a way that like, you know, left room for hope and for positivity without, you know, definitively saying here's, you know, here's the result of Tim's work. So, you know, in some ways that was like the biggest challenge, even though it's not like an in the trenches challenge, it's more of a, at the computer after you're done filming kind of challenge mm-hmm. uh he just I recently that. i guess last year got
0: a grant from the national science foundation to continue his research and i think this film will help right i mean mm-hmm. you know, i imagine he'll take it and show it to people to get more money and to get more staff or team or whatever he wants to do with it i do you feel like you you're helping in that respect
1: yeah i think it, i think tim says it's made a big impact on you know just people it played I i don't know probably Close to forty film festivals at this point, and people um, after everyone, someone comes up to Tim and uh, wants to talk to him or has a, has an idea or a new a new species that they want to adapt his technology to. And uh, yeah, it's you know running a, a a small crew like that out in the desert and finding funding is never easy, but the, he's he's making it work, and I think he's got some some pretty. Good stuff coming down the pipe and some probably some some big funding coming his way.
0: Well, uh, best documentary short at Palm Springs International Short Fest. Best documentary short at Hot Docs International in Toronto.
2: Now, uh, looks like you're qualified for Oscar contention. So that could be in the horizon as well. Uh, yeah, we are qualified. Um, you know, there's a series of steps that have to happen between being qualified and being nominated and so forth. But we're, uh, you know, we got our fingers crossed. We're honored that we're qualified. We're honored that we got as far as we did with this film. And yeah, we really hope that um, we can kind of continue on the on the journey with it because um, I think it's making a difference, you know, in some way. You never know. It's like just seeding an idea about how conservation could work with people. So we want as many people as possible to see this.
1: And especially young people. Uh, we've, we've shown it to a few uh, younger, like middle schools and things like that. And you just kind of hope that they, they really, they love watching it and think it's really interesting, but you gotta hope you're planting a seed somewhere in the back of someone's brain of like, oh, you know what? I wanna, I wanna play with lasers and and make things explode in order to like save the planet at the same time. That sounds pretty cool
0: yeah i would like to do gadgets for more than just battle bots i may have just aged myself but yeah you know what i mean <laughs> yeah um, exactly and, and please win because get, get nominated and win the oscar because i I'm, i appreciate all the docs out there that are heavy and this one obviously has a, a message about our impact uh, on the climate and uh the environment but uh man there's a lot of depressing shorts out there i would like to see one about this like eclectic guy
2: uh who does this unique thing that you can't find anywhere else in the world? I mean, no one's doing what Tim does, right? Um no, not exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are probably other people using technology to to try to save species, But I think Tim is like, you know, sort of unique in that just the 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 length to which his imagination, him and Frank together has gone to kind of build gadgets to 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 help the tortoises. I think that it, he's completely unique. However, um what he's doing, you could like transport that to so many different um conservation issues all over the world like every species is under threat by something else could use a Tim and a Frank so you know our hope is like there's biologists out there who are like huh you know maybe there's a version of the exploding techno tort or the blastolux laser gun that could help me save insert threatened species here you know whatever it is and so um yeah that's what you know we really to, to your point about um depressing documentaries you know I mean We, you know, with all due respect to those films, because there's a lot of depressing things out there, we're not totally convinced that um, depressing people gets them to do anything. Uh, You know, it can be pretty paralyzing. So, you know, our theory right now and our hope is that um, a fun, um, inspiring approach to a conservation problem can, you know, actually galvanize more action. Um, so we'll see, but, uh, that's, that's our, that's our position. So and that's Tim's position too.
1: Watching it at a bunch of film festivals, it always get programmed in like a environmental block most of the time. And a lot of those, just like you said, are kind of heavy and, and, and depressing and rightfully so, because a lot of the problems that these films, these really so great films are highlighting are really heavy, depressing problems. And it would always be it's always fun when our film came around later in the programming and it was, people were like the first joke that comes off and everyone's kind of to look at each other. Like, Oh, are we supposed to laugh? And then they're like, Oh yeah, we, we you have permission to laugh. And then they, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to have a film and like to give people within that block, you know, after watching some heavier stuff, like, Oh, here's a breath of fresh air a little bit. And so it was, it was kind of kind of fun to like have that piece that mixes it up a little bit.
0: Yeah. I saw a documentary once about dogs who got euthanized in a shelter because you know we're not, we're not doing well right by them and all this but literally the last line before the credits was what are you going to do about it and i was like oh my god yeah that's <laughs> almost like the, uh,
2: <laughs> that's like the kind of it's almost become a caricature of what a documentary is now and like it would be nice to see that change a little bit like i think a lot of people still think documentaries are these like the equivalent of having to eat your vegetables you know it's like <laughs> yeah yeah, okay, like you've had your fun watching your horror movie and your thriller. Okay, now you got to watch something super heavy about how crappy reality is. And, you know, and it's like, look, like, I think at this point, like, people know that we know the world is pretty messed up now. Okay, we're here. Where are we going to go from here? You know, what can we do this exciting that's going to make the world better? And, you know, maybe that's a simplistic way of looking at it. But like, that's, it's more fun as a filmmaker, I think, to be at least for us to mm-hmm. be in that place. This was a really fun film to work on, a really fun film to make. Inspired us, I feel like I'm actually hopeful. I think there could be more tortoises in 20 years than there are now. Um, so that's that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it's got to be good.
0: Feel good to be a part of that. Uh, yeah. if that change should it happen, and we hope it does. Yeah. Uh, but before I let you get, uh, gentlemen go, I do ask this question of everybody. It's the worst question of all time. Uh, and uh, Josh, I'll, or whoever would like to answer first. What is your favorite movie
1: of all time? Uh Brett, Brett, you can take that first. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that is dodge question. I actually have a really, really interesting uh story that I'll tell you instead, which is kind of funny. Um, I was I considered almost going to grad school for film. Um, and I was at one of the bigger schools, and I was like really honored to get a like a, a call-in interviews uh at. And so, and I, I was one of the, the finalists to get into this really amazing grad school program. And the interview went super well. And the professors, I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm meeting you. And we're having a great conversation. I was like, holy cow, I'm going to get in. And then one of their last questions was like, what are your three favorite movies? And I was like, ah. <laughs> I, I have no I just, I just froze for a second. And then I don't even know what I said. But needless to say, I didn't get in. <laughs> hey listen so, th- three is generous that's why i say one. Guys. and every every time i
0: say what's your favorite people cheat and give me like five anyway and cheating's fine yeah. you can, but you know if my favorite movie of all time is raiders of a lost ark and it will never change that's gonna be number yeah. one it's been with me for so long as much as i love la la land captain phillips once upon a time in hollywood anything new no country for old men these are all great movies i will not and the documentaries i just saw at telly ride and went there for the first time in my life back to your neck of the woods the featured docs that came out of there crushed they were amazing mm-hmm. and um it's not gonna be raiders it's just been with me for too long so right. uh but you put pulp fiction on right now i might go wow that's the greatest movie i've ever seen <laughs> so the rules are nebulous but uh i do have to ask because it's
2: always such torture
0: josh did you have enough time to waste to think of something
2: sure I'll, I'll i'll throw a few things out there just to this is my non-answer answer like the movie my favorite movie i couldn't even begin to tell you there's so many i don't you have that kind of brain that's like, this is the favorite, but the the movie that I think I saw when I was kind of like thinking about actually getting into making movies and maybe even being a documentary filmmaker was this movie called the cruise about mm-hmm. this tour bus driver in New York, who just sort of spends the entirety of the movie philosophizing and talking about New York and his love for New York. And I don't even really, I don't live in New York, but I just was like, Oh wow, this is a documentary. can be this. It can just be like somebody's innermost thoughts and feelings and this kind of wild short ride. Like that one, I think, you know, shortly after that, I I saw The Thin Blue Line by Earl Morris. And around that same time, I saw um, Fitzcarraldo by Werner Herzog, which is not a documentary, but I sort of think of it, he's a documentarian as well. Mm -hmm. So I think those three movies are just like kind of part of a package that let me think, you know, a documentary could be a really fun world that I'd like to immerse myself in so I will credit those movies um in part to sort of inspiring me to 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 make these kinds of films so I'll just say that cool yeah
0: respect Fitzcarraldo that's cool yeah uh Ver- Werner Herzog was at Telluride and I just about passed out just to hear him talk about movies it was so cool you know and whatever movie it was he found like the you know the the isolation of humanity
2: in it whatever it was
0: you know <laughs> yeah. and that's yeah. just what you yeah. want from him right
2: <laughs> yeah, he's having adventures and, um, you know, uh, making movies at the same time. I think like Brett and I aspire to like, you know, we like the idea yeah. that like the filmmaking process is going to take us into some sort of extreme environments, maybe not Antarctica, but like, you know, maybe the middle of the desert, maybe the jungle somewhere. And so like, we've had a little taste of that. And that's been that's been a really great part of doing what we do. Well, uh, gentlemen that's uh I appreciate you
0: getting making the film first of all and I appreciate that we can all see it so let me tell you where just go to the New Yorkers website and the, the light the length of it is like new yorker.com uh what did I say can you save one species by annoying another? basically just search it if you search eco hack at the New Yorker pops right up and you can watch it immediately um thanks to Brett and uh, Josh and uh, if you want to follow everything that the movie guys are up to, Twitter at the movie guys, Facebook movie guys, Instagram the movie guys, all that, plus YouTube, iTunes, everywhere you can find audio podcasts, we're there. Any other plugs you want to give me? Uh, uh, social media or anything like that?
2: Look up EcoHack, you'll find yeah, us. You you'll find Tim. You'll find the movie. Um, yeah. So yeah,
0: cool. And of course, you can follow everything we're up to at themovieguys dot net. Thank you, gentlemen. Right, okay, thank you. Follow.
2: Yeah, really appreciate it.